And this morning, Gwen, why don't you come at this time? Gwen is going to bring the Mother's Day message, and so let's give her a hand. Good morning. Thank you. Glad to be here with you. Let's talk about family. Now, no matter where you are in life, maybe you're raising toddlers or teens or toddlers and teens at the same time, or maybe you're single, you're unmarried, or your grandparents, or wherever you, you fit um, in the whole description of family, there's something for you today. God has something to say to you about where you fit in family. You know, I have a friend, and in her bathroom, there's a little plaque that says this. Friends are the family you choose. So I don't want you just to think about your natural family. I want you to think on a broad spectrum today as we talk about family because it's bigger than just your natural family. We're going to look at a couple of examples in Scripture today of families. Um, and, you know, I tried to, I thought, you know what, I'm going to go and look for, is there an example of the stellar family? There's not. There's not. Wouldn't that be great if we could point to that and say, if we do all this, then, then our family is just going to be perfect. There is no perfection in family in the Scripture at all. But there is redemption. There's a story of redemption that you're going to see today that flows through the examples in family. So let's pray. Would you open your heart and just ask the Lord as I pray? Would you pray in your own way and just ask the Lord to speak to you what he wants to say to you about your influence, about your family members, whether they're natural or whether they're the family that you choose. Father, we're just so grateful for the opportunity to... Um, dive into your word and hear what you have to say about relationship. Lord, I thank you that even you in your, um, before you created mankind, you modeled relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in relationship. And Lord, we were created for relationship and therefore family. So we're grateful and we ask your blessing on our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So what you're going to see today is that God is willing and desires to show his goodness and his faithfulness through family. You know, um, no matter where you are in your season of life, family tends to change and evolve. It's not the same, right? Um, I'm at a season in my life, all my children are grown and three are married. And so things are looking differently for us than they did when I raised children. I've always been interested in the topic of family. I was a young girl, maybe in middle school, when I started reading about family. I, anything that I could find my put my hands on. And my mom had an extensive library because she did quite a bit of teaching in the church on family. And so I would pull those things from her shelf and read about family. And it was at a very young age that I recognized that God had a, a mark on my life for family and relationships. I didn't know at the time um, how extensive that would be, that I would one day be a pastor's wife. And you know, there's something about family in this room that has nothing to do with shared DNA right? So even in the family of God, there's a sense of belonging. There's a sense of connection. And that is God-given. That's God's plan. I want to um, go all the way back to Genesis with Adam and Eve. You know, God created family and he gave us a design 
for family. Family's being discredited nowadays, and there's being some, maybe some redefining of traditional family. Um, there's a bit of an attack on family. You know, um, we need to go back to scripture, though, and see what God says about family, because he thought it was a great design. And um, there's something that we want to learn and we can recognize from being in connection within family. So God created Adam and Eve, and he put them in this perfect garden. Um, I read something this week. Some scholars say it was about 40 days that Adam and Eve lived in the garden, and then they fell into sin. So I, I don't know for sure that that's not in scripture, but that's what some scholars say. But so here God put this family in the garden. Now recognize the fact that when he put this couple in the garden, he wasn't looking for servants. Maybe you've thought of God as an overbearing, uh, authoritative figure, and maybe it comes from your own um, father figure or other authority figures in your life. But God created Adam and Eve because he wanted a family. He already had angels. He already had servants to do his bidding. He wanted a family. So with that, he put Adam and Eve in the garden, and the Bible gives us a, a little window into their lives as he created them in this beautiful space. He created the space first and then the family. You know, things have got even twisted in, in the time we live in, that the, the earth, and we need to take care of the earth, right? but that everything around us is, is higher in quality because it'll be here long after um, we're gone. So the value of the earth is uh, greater than the value of the people. That's not what God showed in his design. He created the earth first, but he was getting things prepared for his family, for Adam and Eve. And so um, one scripture I'd like to bring out is Genesis 2.18. When God put man in the garden, he created Adam first, and um, he said, it's not good that man should be alone. This, the word man here is not a gender term in the Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament is written in. It means anybody, male, female. It's not good for them to be alone. God created you. God created me for relationship. So another passage I want to bring out is this. Listen to this. I love it. God sets the solitary. Another version says the lonely in families. You see, your ultimate fulfillment in life is going to come in relationship with those around you, whether it's people in your natural family or those that you choose. So in, in a very short time, Adam and Eve, after they fell, they sinned, they disobeyed God, we might say this, they failed to follow his boundaries okay for there to be boundaries in relationship. All relationships that are healthy have boundaries, rules for engagement. God created us to have a relationship with him, and there's boundaries. There's way that, ways that we interact with him. You know, you'll hear uh, even Christian cliches, just worship God however you want. Well, there's scripture for how we should worship God. There's, there's a guideline for how we interact with him. And so in the same way, there's boundaries in our own relationship. So when Adam and Eve were in the garden in a very short time after their disobedience, then what happened? Marital conflict. She's blaming him. He's blaming her for the problems in the family. And then later we see children come in on the scene. And really, what an example of sibling conflict. The um, younger brother ends up killing the older brother, and it's just... It's crazy. So we don't see a, a perfect example of family in Adam and Eve. However, one thing that we do see is something that is, is 
evident in the nature of God. He doesn't abandon them. He doesn't abandon them and say, I am done. This whole family thing was not a good idea after all. He sticks with it. And what does he do? He offers a plan to redeem. I love babies. I really enjoy babies. I really enjoy that. I enjoyed raising children and enjoyed my children when they were babies. But you know, God didn't create babies in the garden. He created adults. Did you ever think about that? His plan is for adults, the adult version of us, to follow him. Think about it. He gave Adam and Eve the greatest gift. And what is that? Some people would say each other. Some people would say, well, the garden that they were in, the whole scene of perfection, what God gave them was free will. Because there is no real relationship, there is no true value in love without free will. That takes us back to the fact that God created adults. You know, it was one thing to have uh, my little infant daughter hold her on my, my shoulder and, you know, I'm patting her on the back and she pats me back. That is just so sweet. Just so sweet. So to have a, a, a young child respond in love it is so precious. But when my teenagers began to respond in love and honor and chose to follow the ways of the Lord when they were teenagers, there was a reward that was far beyond the sweet little pat on the back. It's amazing as children get even older and they're adults and they get to choose. Am I going to go back and be a part of mom and dad's? Am I going to choose to serve the God that they serve? Am I going to choose to follow the plan that they laid out for me? Do I really trust and believe what I've been taught? When adults choose to love, it's a whole nother level. God created Adam and Eve as adults with free will in the Garden of Eden. Now let's talk about what they knew about God before they fell. Before they fell, they knew God as uh, the fact that he loved them as their provider, as their creator. They knew that he was an amazing uh, being of glory as they walked and talked with him in the garden. So they saw all these things about God. They knew about his boundaries, which we mentioned a few minutes ago. But what happened after the plan was corrupted? What happened after the fall? How did they know God then? Listen, in the context of family, even in the pain, even in the sorrow, look for how God wants to reveal himself to you. He's so good. He's so faithful. What Adam and Eve saw in God was his goodness revealed. He did not abandon them. He did not start over. He stayed engaged. He decided to redeem the situation. He decided to set new boundaries now that things were completely different. Now that the curse was operating in the world, he decided to set things in place in a different way. What else did they find out about God after the disaster? Relationships teach us something about ourselves. And so they saw in God, they saw unconditional love. And God, they saw the fact that he was committed to them. They saw an amazing goodness that they would not have seen before the fall. I want to go to a, a second example of family. Maybe you've heard of Noah. You remember Noah and the ark? 
And so at this time, this was about 120 years after Adam died, 126 years is what I discovered. 126 years after Adam died, Noah came on the scene. And the world had gotten really, really bad. You're, you just think about it. We tend to think, you hear things now like, things are so bad. They're worse than they've ever been. Well, not really. <laughs> they were worse, worse before Jesus came. And so you just check out the Old Testament. It was crazy. Um, the Bible says that in Noah's day, people, let me get my, my chapter because you may want to go and read that. If you go into Genesis, uh, no, I don't have it. I thought I wrote that down. Um, if you go into the book of Genesis where it talks about Noah, it says that people thought about evil continually. And the Bible doesn't exaggerate. So what are we thinking? You know, all kinds of crime, violence, horrible things going on because there's no established government. People just basically did um, what they could get away with. And the stronger ones dominated those who were weaker. So that's the day and age that Noah lived. Now contrast that with Adam and Eve's setting. They were born into perfection, right? Not born, but created into perfection. They were in this amazing garden. And then we go to Noah's time period, and the whole world was corrupt. I'm sure there was all kinds of crazy sin going on. You think about it. You're thinking about it. That was going on. Horrible things happening um, in the earth because of sin. And so God, I do have it written down. That's um, in 611. The earth was so corrupt, the Bible says, so corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So here is a family that's living in corruption, and God is thinking about, man, I've got to, I've got to do something different because it's so damaging. These people are killing themselves. They're killing each other. It's just, it, it was just painful to God to see his family in that state. So what did he do? The Bible says he looked and he saw a man and his family, three sons and their wives, and he asked Noah to build an ark. He was going to preserve a remnant. He was going to preserve, he was going to show, let's say it this way, his goodness and his faithfulness in spite of all the junk in the earth through a family. You know, God's still looking for families that will show his goodness that look like the family of God. And I'm not talking about cliche. You know, you don't have to go out and, and pronounce yourself. Hey, we're the, we're the anointed family. Or, you know, we're, we're one of those family of God that people think that's weird. But if you actually showed forth the goodness of God, not just as an individual, oftentimes on most Sundays we hear things about our own individual walk with the Lord, powerful stuff. But think about it in terms of family. What if, two or three? What if a couple, what if a mom and one of the children decided that they were going to allow the glory of God to be seen in their lives, that they were going to, we could say it this way, it sounds a little less uh, religious, Christianese, just be good. Be good in the earth and show the world what good, healthy relationship is about. It's going to look happy. It's going to look happy. It's going to be look committed. It'll look messy, but it'll be an example of God's goodness. He stayed engaged. God stayed engaged with the human race. And so with Noah and his family, God preserved and started over again, even after a worldwide flood. You know, the Bible says this about Noah in Peter. It's 1 Peter 3. It says this, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. But did you know you won't find any messages by him? There are no words by Noah. 
It was action, example, who he was. Noah was a preacher of righteousness because of his behavior. And, you know, his children had to have followed, right? Um, you don't just put adult children in an ark and say, you know, you're going with me. You've got to do this. They followed. He had family that would follow. The Bible tells us that it took 120 years for him to build the ark. So all those 120 years, Noah's preaching by his actions. Today, there were people watching you. You might not know. They looked out the window blinds. Yeah, they're leaving again. It's always the same time on Sunday. Look how cute that little boy looks. I guess they go to church. Or they'll see you in the front yard interacting with your children. You're telling a story. You're preaching a message through family. The third example I want to look at today, we looked at Adam and Eve in an amazing setting, and yet things didn't turn out so well because they had a free will. They had a choice. God's not going to take that away. He still likes it, and he's not taking it away from you or me. He's going to continue to allow you to engage with each other in the way that you choose a lot of times. There's greater blessing when we do things his way. There's greater fulfillment, but he likes the fact that you have choices to make, that you can choose to do things his way. Well, Abraham is the third family um, patriarch that we're going to look at. He's one of our, our fathers of the faith, right? The Bible calls him the father of our faith. So with Abraham, we see in the book of Genesis, there's something really specific. I saw some things this week that I hadn't seen before about the life of Abraham. Isn't that cool? Read your Bible. Who knew? There's something new in it all the time. We want to read our Bibles. Genesis 18, 19 says this about Abraham. Abraham, Abraham and Sarah were a married couple. You may have heard of them in Scripture. Um, where we reference him often. Um, there's a lot about Abraham in the Old Testament, and there's a lot about him in the New Testament as well. Genesis 18, 19 says this about Abraham. So this is God talking about Abraham. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is just and right. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. What is God saying? He saw in Abraham that he would direct his family. So then that had to, I had to look around and see what in context what that meant. So as I looked in the scriptures before it and after it, I found this. I found that Abraham in Genesis, what I just read you was out of Genesis 18. And this is 14, earlier in the scripture. It says this, that Abraham had 318 men. And of course, they had some of them had wives. And some of them probably had children. Men in his household. Now, this is an ancient time period where people didn't have welfare. They didn't have established government. And so the family unit was the core of society. It still is. It was the core of society. It was how you stayed safe in a world where people just did what they wanted. And rules and, and lawlessness uh, were, were, it was rampant to have lawlessness in those days. So. Abraham had these 318 men, and the Bible says they were raised up as an army. So they protected one another. They probably worked together, and it, it was beneficial for them economically to live uh, in close proximity and develop a community. I'm not talking about slaves. The Bible didn't say slaves. The Bible didn't say servants. It said in his household. You know what that means to you and I? 
It means influence. What's family about? Who's in your household? It might be your neighbors that are considered influenced by you. Who are you influencing? The family is designed for influence. That's one of God's major reasons for family. It's to bring goodness to the earth. We're supposed to bring, good healthy families bring uh, goodness to the earth. You know, studies even show that healthier families, the family unit brings value and is one of the greatest attributes in any society, greatest values in any society. So it's really important that we recognize that not only that God values family, but that your family, your family unit can add great value and richness to the community. So God chose Abraham and the Bible said that he spoke to him. Now he, remember we, we Adam and Eve, crazy setting, um, just beautiful, amazing, ab above perfect. And they fell. And then we go to Noah, and he's in corruption, surrounded by corruption, um, not in it himself, but the Bible says that he was righteous when everybody else was corrupt. And then now we go to Abraham, and the Bible says of Abraham that he was um, from a family of moon worshipers. So he was not following the Lord, and God chose him. God saw something in Abraham, and he chose him out of that family of moon worshipers. His father's name was Tara, and he said, I want you to leave your family and go over here. Do you see all the different examples of family? Maybe you're one of those that's like Abraham, and in your family, you're the only one that is serving God. He's the most remarkable example of a patriarch, of a man that followed God and led his family. So God called Abraham and he called him because he saw him being a man of influence. We see in Genesis 14, where he had this large household of people that were part of his community. And he, he, they weren't family, right? Because um, Abraham didn't have a son till a few chapters later. So his wife had been barren for many years. God saw Abraham as a man that was inclusive. Come be a part. Come be a part. How can I help you? How can I be involved in your family? How You see, what family is all about is a really healthy family provides connection beyond the home. Healthy connection beyond the home, making a difference, impacting the world around us. You'll see that Abraham's family were really agents of grace. Now, here's what happened. <clears throat> I saw in Scripture this passage that I read to you about about how he'll direct his sons. Right before that, it mentions Sodom and Gomorrah. Earlier in the chapter, it starts to, to mention Sodom and Gomorrah, the sin there. And then just like it's off topic, that passage is just sandwiched in there about Abraham would be a man that would direct his family. And then it goes on in that passage and talks about Sodom and Gomorrah and their evilness, their idolatry, that they had horrible appetites that were out of whack, both in overeating and drunkenness and in sexuality. And right in that, right between there, there's this little part about Abraham and how God knew he would direct his sons. He had no children. He would direct his household amazing, in the middle of a really rotten story where, what happens to Sodom and Gomorrah? Do you remember that from your Bible reading? It gets destroyed, doesn't it? Things were really bad there. You know, in modern history, the world hasn't been destroyed by, there hasn't been cities destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah. There's not been a worldwide flood, right? 
God promised he would never do that again. And so with that, he sent Jesus a plan of redemption. And now that's our answer. What a great answer that he's had from the very beginning. But God has been engaged and stayed faithful to show his goodness and his faithfulness through family. We see it in Adam and Eve. We see it in Noah's family. And then we see it in Abraham's family. So one thing I thought about when I read about those 318 people that were part of his overall spectrum, his household, the family he chose, people that came alongside him, had the same vision that he had. Do you have people that you're walking with that you would consider family? Maybe you see them more than you see your natural family who maybe live up north and you only see them at holidays. Who are the family that you're choosing to surround yourself with? Hopefully it's the the church family. You know, as we looked at all these three examples, difficult things where God's plan of redemption came through family lines, it's so interesting that in the New Testament, right at the beginning, you know, God prophesied um, all through the Old Testament, we see God's voice ringing out that he would send a savior. He would send a redeemer for mankind because things were really, really dark before Jesus. You and I, after the cross, we just don't really realize that. We have to renew our mind and we have to study uh, Old Testament scriptures to realize how bad things really were. But Jesus came on the scene and how did God choose to bring Jesus? Through the clouds in a chariot? In a family. Despite everything, despite the pain, despite the brokenness, he decided to send Jesus, the Savior of the world, into a family. Knowing Jesus would experience pain. It's the nature of relationship, you know. Because we live in a fallen world. But it's also the greatest agency for healing. So God sent Jesus. You know, I think there, when I think about that, I think what Jesus experienced in family, the dailiness, the humdrum, three meals a day, maybe some of them fast food, you know, three meals a day, the chores, the dailiness of family. What else did Jesus receive as a benefit, as as an experience in family? Rejection? He experienced some rejection from his own family members. Remember that when he was actually preaching and teaching and his family were like, you're weird. You've lost it. His own family members um, rejected him at one point. Jesus came and experienced the brokenness that you and I live in in the family unit. And through that came our full redemption. Do you remember that part that I read to you about Abraham, that God chose him because he knew he would... so that he could direct his family. And it says at the end of that passage, so that God could reveal and display what he had promised through Abraham. What does God promise? God's promises are good. God's promises are for restoration. God's promises cover your money. God's promises cover your sorrow. God's promises cover areas in your life that no one else knows about but you. And he wants to redeem and restore. That's what God promised would come through Abraham. Do you know Jesus, the Messiah, came through Abraham's line? God had a plan for family. He never quits on us. And I just want to ask you today, where are you in your family? Maybe you you are in a season where there's a bit of brokenness. Maybe there's some some sorrow that you can point to. I, I want to challenge you for just a minute to think about your family. I want you to look back. 
And I want you to look at it just not with rose-colored glasses, um, but just to look with reality and look back and see areas that he saved and redeemed. God saved my family. God has saved my family. I was raised by good parents, and then I married a good man. So I've had good family experiences, but none of us are without brokenness in our families. So I want you to look back in your family and, and, and think. Allow him to remind you of where he's redeemed, where he's worked in spite of humanity. And then I, I want you to do something else. Would, would you dare to think beyond, maybe in an area that's painful right now regarding your family, regarding extended family members, maybe there's some estrangement in your family. I want you to think about that, and we're going to bring those things to the Lord in prayer. I want to pray over your family today. I want you to call out maybe a name that comes to your mind. Maybe there is a situation that you think, in your own thinking, you're thinking, how could that ever be worked out? God's plan of redemption supersedes what we can think or imagine. What has he done in your life, looking back in your family line? What has he done? Where has he shown his goodness and his grace? And then look before, look ahead. What does he want to do? What does he want to redeem? What does he want to restore? What does he want to do in your life that would knock your socks off and bring you great, great joy? Don't stop. Don't stop on a situation. Don't quit on a situation. If it's not pleasing to you, it's probably not redeemed yet. And you might say, Quinn, how can you say that? What do you mean if it's not pleasing to, to me? Maybe sometimes God just allows sorrow and trouble and the world is a place of sorrow and trouble. But what did he say to Abraham? I want a family that I can show my promises through, that I can bring my goodness and faithfulness to the earth through that family. That's what he wants for you and your family. Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word and see what you think about family. It's, it's really amazing that you continue to stay engaged, unconditionally loving us and walking with us. Father, I just pray over everyone under the sound of my voice today, no matter the situation in their family unit, it might be great right now, there might be season, uh, spots of joy and then spots of sadness in their family. Lord, I just pray right now that you would give them a vision for what you want to do to redeem that situation. I pray blessing over everyone today. Lord, may you show them your plan for family. And Lord, where there's huge, huge complex trauma and brokenness and rejection, I pray for healing, Lord. I pray healing for the brokenhearted today. I pray for blessing. I thank you, Lord, that you still have an answer for each one of us today regarding relationship and family. In Jesus' name, amen.